Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson, and joining me this week is CNET.com senior editor, Mr. Andrew Hoyle. Hello. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Nice to be back. Indeed. Well, I thought it's been a while since you've been on, and it's a, such a beautiful day outside. I thought, what could be better than being cooped up in a recording studio, recording a podcast? Yeah, in separate rooms as well. Indeed. But um, we're going to start with news. We're going to talk a little bit later about something that's got Andy all excited um, at various points of his uh, life and body. And we're going to come back to what that is. But here's a clue. It involves mobile gaming. But we're going to start with some news. And first, on the biggest tree in the tech news orchard, is the news that Microsoft has bought the UK startup SwiftKey for a reported $250 million, which is about 180, 190 million pounds. This is a really interesting company for a couple of reasons. One, it is a it's effectively an app company. Their their biggest product is the SwiftKey keyboard, which is a predictive text keyboard very popular on iOS and Android and it involves an element of machine learning to sort of predict what you're going to say, um but specifically based on what you have previously typed in the past as opposed to just generally what it thinks people may want to write. Um, and that's one interesting aspect to this. The second aspect is that obviously the value is very high, but SwiftKey is not on Microsoft's devices. It's not on Windows 10 and it's not on Windows Phone. So the fact that Microsoft has agreed to buy it is uh, is an interesting one because one thing you could read for this is that they want to incorporate it into Windows Phone and make it a bigger deal. The other is that they like the technology and they want to make a bigger use of the technology as a predictive system within its other applications, aside from just being a keyboard. Andy, do you use SwiftKey? I do use SwiftKey, yeah. I, I, was, I use SwiftKey a lot on Android phones. Um, and then obviously once it, it arrived on iOS as well, then that was my first keyboard of choice. Do you still use it? Yeah, yeah. All the time. I think it's really good. It's one. It's my favorite keyboard. I can type much faster on there. It's it's auto learning. I think is brilliant. It's far better than than a lot of the other ones out there. And I much prefer it to the standard iOS keyboard. Do you have an example of where the predictive text has worked for you in a in a, in a particular way? Yeah, for me, yeah, using um, a lot of basically made up words and you know acronyms and all that sort of stuff. It will it will allow me to immediately uh, write that. Lolzords, for example. Um, it allows me to be able to type immediately without having to uh, sort of go back and correct, uh, which is always good because I use that word a lot, as you know. Indeed. I mean, one of the things I find interesting about these predictive tools is how they do cotton on to not necessarily words you use, but strings of letters that you use. A couple of examples. When I've been texting you in the past, uh, you know, being a hilarious person as you are, um, I quite often want to reply with a series of ha ha has. Now, depending on exactly how amusing you've been, that might just be a single ha. It may be ha ha, maybe ha ha ha. However, sometimes when you take the hilariousness to an extreme, I uppercase all the H's and all the A's and I do a very long string. Now on predictive text, I get a choice. And my if I start typing ha ha ha, 
it will start to suggest you know maybe upper cap three uh you know three hars all in uppercase sometimes maybe 12 hars all in uppercase and i can choose an appropriate prediction to the level of amusement that you've invoked within me it's good um, that you've had your uh, response to comedy streamlined uh, in such an efficient way this has clearly saved you a lot of time well it's also helped me in the in the bedroom um not literally but in a bedroom as a conduit for romance in general um when texting my girlfriend I uh, sometimes want to express a small amount of love, standard love, maybe a couple of X's, maybe three on a on a good day. But sometimes she does something that warrants, to me, an even higher appreciation for something. Maybe then I want to do four X's or maybe five X's. And again, the keyboard learns this and now suggests to me um, an appropriate amount of love to convey via text based on um, how many X's I've currently typed. So it's really good that, that Microsoft has valued such tools at quarter of a billion dollars um, because, frankly, it's, it's made both my family life um, with you and, of course, my romantic life with Kate just that little bit more efficient. And as a stickler for efficiency, I'm very pleased. And do we know what Microsoft actually plans to do with it? Because it's bought SwiftKey outright, isn't it? It hasn't just bought, it hasn't licensed its software to use um, on its own products. No, that's right. I mean, actually, SwiftKey is a product based from a company called TouchType. SwiftKey is one of the companies um, that that it runs. And there are two co-founders, one of which is a, a guy called uh, Ben Medlock, who actually has a PhD in natural language and information processing uh, from University of Cambridge. And I'm very interested to see if, if those guys are going to follow and join Microsoft to continue innovating this. Because to answer your question more directly, no, we don't know exactly what they're going to do, mm. other than it seems pretty likely that it's going to you know, become a core part of a number of uh, tools. Certainly yeah. in their official announcements, they didn't say, we're going to bring SwiftKey to Windows Mobile, because they certainly could have done that for a lot cheaper. But what they... about SwiftKey staying on Android and on iOS? It's going to stay. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not getting rid of those. I mean, it's on about three hundred million phones currently, or certainly three. It's been installed over three hundred million times. Sure, but this is to- Microsoft we're talking about, though, and they haven't had a, a great history in recent years of making the best decisions. No, this is this is true. I mean, I think a couple of examples you may be referring to would be something like buying. In fact, launching the, the the Kin, which was interesting. The the Kin was a phone that was developed by a company called Danger, which previously developed the Sidekick. And Microsoft launched the, these Kin devices um, several years ago. I actually went over to, I think it was San Francisco that they held the launch, flew over there for the launch. And literally, I mean, I want to say four, five, maybe six weeks later, they killed the whole thing, the whole product line. Yeah, I mean, I, I find this particularly interesting right now because SwiftKey is very much geared towards mobile phones rather than rather than tablets but and microsoft is doesn't seem to have anything like the same um, amount of uh, sort of drive to uh, to really bring uh, back windows phone hard it's last it's 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 launched for two flagship phones a windows for uh, lumia 950 and 950 xl neither of which were particularly interesting and neither of which have done um, have have sold very well um, or have done anything to kind of bring back the excitement around windows phone so Microsoft making a move to buy such an important uh, mobile phone piece of software um, right now seems very interesting. It, it sort of it, it kind of confuses what we could view as as the, f- the future of Windows Mobile. I think so. I mean, one of the things that we have to bear in mind with with a company like Microsoft buying a product like this is that Microsoft has a lot of devices. You know, you could see something like SwiftKey's backend because remember, SwiftKey isn't just a keyboard; it's a cloud-based 
um, predictive text model system that syncs across multiple devices. So if you use an Android tablet and an iPhone, your account is synced between the two. So the words it remembers is is synced across that. You could see that ultimately applying across iOS, Android, Windows 10, and, and Cortana, Xbox. You know, Xbox is a pain to type on if you have one of those little keyboards. Yeah, would, that's true. You know, this could sync across all of that. And that is kind of why I think Microsoft wanted to acquire this for so much money is because it's not just buying the, the keyboard, it's buying the AI, the, the machine learning, maybe the customer uh, loyalty that's already been built up over the years with you know as as part of this i'm actually surprised it's so um it's so little money um you say for so much but 250 million dollars for such a, a massive company with such an em- enormous user base and this is a company that partnered with uh, samsung to to be the default keyboard on the uh, galaxy s uh, 5 um, i i believe uh, and it's 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 even got in with apple on the iphone like this is huge you say with- that but but at the same time the company doesn't have that many employees and it its keyboard is now free and monetized through in-app purchases i think it had revenues of about 11 or 12 million pounds um last year you know we're not talking huge revenue potential it's more about the value microsoft's put on either the people or the back end or the modeling or that you know if it's something that these guys are doing better than microsoft's been able to develop in-house yeah that's probably where the value is Andy, it's time to talk about schools. It's also, coincidentally, time to talk about Ian Livingston. Now, you may be pondering a little question mark in your in your mind's eye there. Let me explain what the connection is. Ian Livingston, who some people will know, who brought Dungeons & Dragons into the world, he was the boss of uh, IDOS, which launched the Tomb Raider series of games. He is going to be opening two brand new schools. One is going to be in East London, in Tower Hamlets, and another one is going to be in Bournemouth. And these are going to be uh, launched under the name of the uh, Livingston Academies. Sorry, slight pause there where I was working out exactly where my eye should be to find the name. Uh, Livingston Academies, and they're going to be focusing particularly on science, technology, engineering, arts, and maths. So a slight extension of the STEM group of subjects there, which quite fittingly here uh, gives the five member uh subject grouping here the acronym steam which i think for a gaming veteran uh, is a rather appropriate uh little nod to the audience if you like um now the the two schools that he has announced are going to be opening well actually we don't know exactly when they're going to be opening um other than they've um been approved for opening and the first one the one in tower hamlets is going to be open for four to 19 year olds it's going to have about 1500 places and the other one is going to be based down in Bournemouth, and that is for four to nine year olds, four, four to nineteen year olds as well, and will have also about fifteen hundred places. So really interesting that these are being opened by Ian Livingston. There are a few other schools. There are twenty two new free schools that were announced, and it is key to point out that these schools are all going to be free, um, and some of them do offer slightly different takes on the education model in the uk there's one that's going to focus particularly on um children with autism or who are on the autistic uh spectrum uh, another one is um uh, uh, one of islamic faith another one is a christian school um it, there's a whole range of these new schools being opened 
And it's uh, it's great to see two being launched by a pioneer like Ian Livingstone, who's a very well-known name in, in the UK, uh, both in politics and in, and in gaming, of course, um, because, you know, that's really going to lend some credibility to the fact that we do need more schools and we do need schools that have a bigger focus on the STEM, or in this case, the STEAM subjects. So this is going to be uh, a lot more of a focus on on gaming, on coding, on robotics and computing, that sort of thing? Well, it's certainly more likely to, yeah. I mean, science, technology, engineering, arts and maths is pretty wide. Um, And certainly, you know, I haven't seen gaming mentioned as a sort of subject area, but it's highly likely that it will. Um, Generally speaking, these schools will focus on a, a whole range of topics from computer science to IT to networking to coding to basically to anything that's going to set um, children in that age range up with the kinds of skills that companies that, you know, ultimately become successful like SwiftKey, you know, the the kind of technologies that they need to be thinking about. Um, And by founding founding a school with these kind of as a core point and by having someone like Ian Livingston in charge of this, I think it's really great because... I think teachers get a lot of stick these days for, you know, basically the kids know more than the, 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 the teachers. I actually think that's becoming less true as new teachers start coming into the education system. Because it was certainly it, true in our time at school because you managed to bring down the entire computer network with a homemade virus. It wasn't a virus, but I, I did allow students to run programs they wanted to on their networks and it did get me into quite a lot of trouble at the time, yes. Um, but that was just because I, I I knew an exploit in the system and was able to circumvent it um, for all the children and uh, and then tell them how to do it, which was good fun at the time. But it did prove, yes, to your point, that there were elements of computing that I knew better at 14 or 15 than the teachers did. But I think these days, you know, there are teachers who are, you know, in the late 20s and, and have a very good grasp of, of technology and so can actually give a much better education to children. But having these schools specifically focus on that is probably great in terms of being able to partner with further education establishments and and people who want to employ some of these kids or or offer them work experience because it's going to be a lot easier to start some of those conversations if you know that the kids are coming out of a a place that has really put the STEM and the STEAM uh, subjects at the core of their educational agenda. So this is great. I think it's a a fantastic move. And um, I I read this story on schoolsweek.co.uk. If you search 22 new free schools on schoolsweek.co.uk, you can find a a useful article about this, um, but you can also see the full list of all 22 schools and what they are going to be focusing on and where they're going to be opening. Terrible news, Andy. Go on. Terrible news. Absolutely catastrophic. Europe's top court is having to mull something this week, or was mulling something the week just gone. Sounds ominous so far. Well, if you think that's bad, wait till you get to the the main meat of this pie. Um, It is mulling the legality of linking to web pages. And I do mean that in the most basic way possible. The act of putting a link around some text to another page that you do not own. That's what we're talking here. The problem is that the court in Europe is trying to decide whether it is breaking copyright law if you link to anything that is not soundly copyrighted. Or rather, you know, if you post an image on your blog, let's say, and that you don't have the copyright for, me linking to that page could constitute breaking the law. And 
there is precedent in the past that um, people do not need permission or rather they do not need to seek permission from a copyright owner in order to post something, uh, you post a link to something. Um, but what about things that have been posted without the copyright owner's permission? The example being, if I own a picture and I post it to my blog, you don't need permission from me to link to my picture. But what if I posted a picture from somebody else that I don't own the copyright for? What are the legal implications of you linking to that, given I don't have the rights to have put that content online in the first place? That is what is being discussed in the European court at the moment. But it basically, if this went ahead, and let's let's just jump forward several stages here you know let's get past the public consultation let's get past everything yeah to say that this did come into effect this basically would break the web you know the web itself the fundamental thing that makes the web the web is linking from one thing to another that's how it works that's how google primarily discovers content because things are linked so to stop this would potentially prevent you from linking to anything from any platform to anything so or any putting, other platform. This is putting the responsibility of being able to understand copyright law and be able to research copyright licenses on every single individual. So so the the fourteen year old blogger who who's doing something, they need to be able to understand whether or not something on a website they're linking to has got copyright for their content. They need to be able to research whether that has copyright and then before they're able to just post a link. That's, that's right. That's correct. That's as ridiculous as it really is. That's correct. Okay. That is exactly what it is. That, I, I'm so struggling to get my head around this because it seems so ridiculous and so impossible to put into place and to enforce that I don't understand how this is even a conversation that's happened. Well, that is what is happening at the moment. Now, it seems to me pre- pretty unlikely that this will get anywhere at all. And- it can't. How can it? Well, I mean, there's other implications as well, because, I mean, things like, let's look at some examples. So first, this is European law that we're talking about here. But, you know, the web is global. So how do you how do you how do you police that? It doesn't seem reasonable that you could, you know, possibly even control that or go after people, let alone the financial cost of doing it. Plus, what about if you link to something that doesn't have copyrighted material on it, but then because pages are dynamic, the content then appears Uh, on that page and you had no knowledge that you were linking to something illegal in the future because when you linked to it in the present it was perfectly fine um i mean that's completely ridiculous i mean also how do you even ask permission how do you how do you even find out even if you tried to do this how do you go about seeking permission from someone on a blog and do you have to and then you might have to follow it down a chain of links are you responsible for the links posted to the page that you're linking to and you have to follow every link down this rabbit hole trying to find permission oh who has this and the internet will basically just nobody will get any work done because everyone will be having to email trying to ask permission and if they have copyright can i please see your license for this before i'm allowed to post it this will break everything i mean even on a on a on a very personal basis of you know of as i mentioned before kid with blog but in terms of actual businesses and publishing i mean nate you work for bloomberg i work for cbs they are two of the world's biggest publishers we would need to employ vast teams of people whose sole job it is to go around checking everything that gets linked to and make sure that there's you know they'd have to follow these chains themselves who are trained in the legalities of copyright law to make sure that nothing's being broken 
Yeah. Now, the reason why there is reason to believe that this could be brought into action if deemed necessary is what happened with the cookies uh, pop-ups that all websites that were operating in the UK had to provide. That's the thing that if you're in Europe, you go to a page, every page that's complying with this law, if you use cookies, you have to show a pop-up that says this page uses cookies uh, you know, click here to accept or to, to accept, just carry on using the site and you're acknowledging that you've read this message. Every site you visit, and maybe people outside of Europe don't realize this, every site has to show you this message. And it is the most frustrating and pointless thing that has ever been brought into the world because it makes no difference to the average user at all. It's completely pointless. Um, you know, and, and, and I think the fact that this would be so impossible to police that it, you know, even if it was put forward as something that is actually going to be put in practice, how on earth do you police it? They're putting the responsibility of of understanding copyright law on the wrong people. They're putting the responsibility on the people linking to this content rather than on the people who are who are actually doing the the doing the wrong thing in the first place. Who are breaking copyright law? That's the wrong way round. Mm. Like if you want to fight copyright law, go after the people who are who are breaking it, not the people who are linking to it. Well, this is kind of the defense that a lot of the operators of BitTorrent websites use. You know, they will have disclaimers on the sites that say something like, you know, we do not host any content here. We're just hosting trackers. We're hosting links to files. And it's the files, um, it's the users themselves on their own clients that are actually sourcing the illegal content. And they're able to, under the, the DMCA, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, take those down at the request of any copyright holders but even though they're not hosting any copyright themselves, it's allowed them to work around that. But I mean, this brings this into a whole different kettle of fish because this would be, you know, do you need to seek permission from Facebook to link to Facebook? Copyrighted. Yeah. So you know. is, it, is it the big, is it, is it then the uh, sort of torrent uh, sites and, and those sorts of sites that this is really at its, at its heart going for? Or is, no. this, is it everything? This would be... I mean, I mean, Tumblr is basically a whole social network of of people reposting and linking to copyright images that have been that have been created. You know, that's 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 basically all it is. That would so this would take down Tumblr immediately. Um, you know, Facebook, as you say, and what about Twitter? If you post a link to something that's not yours on Twitter, well, it it basically re- originally related, I think, to a case where somebody was posting Playboy images on on a blog or was linking to Playboy images and. Um, it was it was deemed okay to link to some of these images because they had permission and but and it's now just being examined again because no one knows exactly what would happen if someone sued on the grounds of the fact that the person didn't have permission to post these images so it's 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 to do with media copyright in that sense so that's kind of an extension i suppose of some of the thinking that went around the the war on BitTorrent. But, um, you know, how deeply something like this could be applied, I don't know. But then, again, I just keep thinking back to the whole cookie thing and, and the fact that they force every website operating in Europe to put a massive pop-up to inform users of, of cookies. I mean, they did that. Maybe they can do this. We've got one thing more we wanted to get to this week um, that comes out of a conversation Andy and I were having uh, a little while ago around a game. Um, Andy, before we go any further, can you just 
outline the game that we're talking about. Yeah, the game is uh, it's a Star Wars game. It's called Galaxy of Heroes, um, and I've been playing it on iOS, and it's uh, it's essentially a sort of collect a character, battle the character, sort of half card game, half RPG, um, that sort of thing. Um, it's uh, made by EA, and it's free to play. And I know usually those two things ring alarm bells of okay that's fine that means i'm gonna have to be paying hundreds and hundreds of pounds in uh in-app purchases all the time in order to succeed but uh, it's actually a game that i think has been handled very very well uh, in a free-to-play sense um, and that's that's the reason that, that you wanted to talk about this because normally we do hate on free-to-play because they they promote bright shiny characters and they get kids paying huge amounts of money i mean android makes 98 percent or the android marketplace the last study I saw makes 98% of all of its revenue via in-app purchases. And I don't think iOS was much lower, something like 88 or 90%. Wow, I didn't know those figures. That's shocking. Yeah, they're huge. They're absolutely huge. Not just specific on games, but all in-app payments. It's, it's about 97, 98% of all Android marketplace revenue. So huge money. And um, it's it's quite often seen to be exploitative. And, you know, it's pay to win. And, you know, you, you can't... Game developers make some games that are just so hard to, to win, but then they make the, you know, the cheats or the extra lives so convenient. Yeah. And that then, effectively you have to pay money, very small amounts, but repeatedly to continue. But you're saying this is an exception. This is an exception. And it's come from EA, which... which um, is actually one of the companies that we on this very podcast have uh, criticised before. We talked about um, EA's SimCity Build It game being one of the worst examples of free-to-play in that you, it is almost impossible to play that game without having to spend money. You have to wait days and days for a new building to be made in SimCity um, unless you want to spend two ninety nine to have it done automatically. Uh, that was just a ridiculous game. This has gone the other way. This is a game that I have just fundamentally enjoyed playing from day one, and I played every day because you get bonuses for playing every day. You can get all kinds of different things to the point where I actually just wanted. I felt like I've been playing so much. I wanted to just uh, to just pay some money um, on a bundle myself. And did you? I did. Yeah. When how much did you pay? Uh, I first uh, first lot I paid. I think it was three ninety nine right. uh, for some extra crystals, and I was like, and I thought, great, I'd have paid. I would have expected a game that was this good and I got this much of gameplay out of to maybe cost four or five pounds outright that just allows me to just progress through the game as normal. So I felt that that was like a good amount of money to just pay as a, right, I've actually paid for this game I'm enjoying because I, I really do. I've got a lot of friends who play it. Um, it it's, a, it's a lot of fun and I have not found any point that I'm struggling to progress. It is a game that... Uh, you you know you do certain tasks in a day and then you have to wait till the next day for those tasks to become um, available to do again. But actually, even in that way, there's there's still a good, I reckon, a good couple of hours worth of gameplay that you can do every day, and that's that's perfect for you know commuting or just you know playing a little bit in the evening whilst you're on the sofa watching something on TV or on the toilet. Uh, that's that's a very good amount of game it's not a case of oh you've got two or three minutes worth of gameplay you can do in a day before you have to start paying there's a lot of game you can do for free i think it's good to see and i think it's also good to acknowledge and i'm glad that we're having this conversation when companies that it's very easy to hate on like ea for producing games like this and, and they're certainly not the only company that, that do this you know you, you tend to see this from the likes of zynga and 
king and glue gaming that makes all those celebrity kim kardashian and i've heard taylor swift's getting yeah an, she's an getting game. one because they're just huge money spinners you know they're free and you pay for things i mean ofcom actually did an investigation to this and put out and this is going back two or three years i think now but they put out um sort of specifications for what constitutes fair um advertising for some of these free games that specifically target children and and there are there are guidelines to making sure that you're not breaking uk law in um in in basically trying to upsell to children yeah um and it's a very interesting document to read if if you're interested in this kind of stuff because you you read something like ofcom that's usually full of very dry language about telecoms regulation and advertising and all this kind of stuff and was it ofcom no i think it was the advertising standards agency asa or maybe it was both of them i'll have to double check that because i'm off, going off the top of my head here but it's one of the two of them and the document sort of lists that the, the sort of generic types of characters you might see in a game with large eyes and and very bright colors and big smiles and you sort of like it's funny to see a huge agency like this producing a document where they're having to sit down and try and describe in as black and white text as possible what constitutes a very happy character that might want to get children to spend money uh you know to keep its pets alive or to you know for additional toilet paper or whatever the game is yeah i don't know what those games are that i've just hypothetically described but you did mention being on the toilet um so so the game remind me again of what the game is called the game it's called star wars galaxy of heroes and it is free to play there are plenty of in-app purchases you can make but what i particularly like is that at no point does it actually ask you to buy anything? It doesn't. It doesn't say, okay, in order in order to do this quicker, you can spend three pounds and have it done immediately. It's not that sort of game. Those you can go to like a store and buy some extra gems, extra crystals, and stuff. But it doesn't. It doesn't say, oh, okay, you've been defeated at this point uh, on this match, but buy this and you can do this. It's. It actually says you've been defeated. But did you know you've got training droids available that you can use to upgrade your characters? Um, that kind of thing. It's it's very inoffensive in that sense, and it, which is a breath of fresh air. It means you actually enjoy the game and you feel that you are playing a game rather than just playing somebody's money-making scheme. Yeah, well, that's that's tremendous. I'm just having a look on the iTunes store now just to see. I'm looking at the top in-app purchases as well. There are the typical things. Pouch of crystals, 149. I see going up to 79.99 vault of crystals. Yep. Interestingly, I'm just looking at the charts in the iOS store and currently the game that we're talking about is ranks in position 11 for top grossing games. So that's the amount of money that despite being free to download, the game is responsible for bringing in from customers so this is sitting higher than netflix and just below by one place candy crush jelly saga and just above by one place the sims free play so you know you top grossing apps currently 1 to 11 spotify music clash of clans candy crush saga game of war candy crush tinder boom beach mobile strike eight ball pool candy crush jelly saga and then star wars galaxy of heroes so it's fantastic i say fantastic it's a fantastic is the wrong word it's it's very interesting to see on the one hand a game getting so highly reviewed also getting praised by you for not being pushy with its in-app payments and still obviously making so much from in-app payments that it can rank 11th in the uk's top grossing list you know that's higher than the kim, kim kardashian app it's higher than netflix it's higher than match.com and dating apps uh it's higher than clash of kings and and Farm Hero Saga and a whole bunch of other things you'd expect. Uh, expect, um, you know. So 
great. Good news. Higher than Minecraft. I see Minecraft Pocket Edition. And that does cost money to download. I have seen some some comments of people who have been moaning, oh, it's another game pushing uh, in-app purchases. And it, it just surprised me because it, it's it is genuine, genuinely one of the the least pushy games. And I, and I really think EA should be applauded for that. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Um, Andy, thanks very much for joining us. Um, let us know where people can find you on the interwebs. Uh, you can find me, I write for CNET.com or you can find me on Twitter with at BatteryHQ. And also on the CNET UK podcast. Also on the CNET UK podcast. Mm, good show. I used to know a guy who uh, used to host that. Was it you? It was me. Uh, and joining me next week, uh, Ian should be back. And we're also going to have a guest that you may remember who used to have a very famous underscore in her name. So look out for that. And until then, toodle pipski. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 